Good morning, King of Kings Church. I am so excited to be with you today as we continue our series, Philippians. And we've really discovered quite a bit over the past couple weeks. In week one, Mike did a tremendous job sharing with us about the call to being joy-filled and seeing opportunities to share Jesus in whatever circumstances we're in. Last week, Roger carried us through with servanthood and servanthood with humility, all as we look forward to giving glory to Christ alone. This week, we connect with Philippians chapter 3. And I think the word I want you to think about is this. Look out. Philippians chapter 3 is all about us looking out, being on guard, seeing what's happening around us. I want to tell you a story. And it was a time when, well, I heard the words, look out. I was probably five or six, and our family was at a uh, river, and I was doing what any five or six-year-old boy would do. I was throwing rocks into the water. And my mom, she was standing by, and she saw me pick up this rock, and I was getting ready to throw it. And all of a sudden, my mom yelled, Greg, look out, spider. I did what I instinctively would do as a boy who's afraid of spiders. I turned because my mom yelled, look out. I turned towards her, and I threw the rock as hard as I could to get it away from me. And that rock sailed and hit her plumb in the nose. Wasn't broken, but it was definitely bruised. Black eyes, bruised nose, and her having to explain how I gave her that black eye and bruised nose because she yelled, look out. And that's the first lookout I want us to think about. Look out for destruction. Our first word to think about when we look at Philippians chapter 3 is destruction. There are people that want to destroy the church of Christ. There are powers and principalities that want to destroy the church of God. Paul writes about this right away in Philippians verse 2, chapter 3, verse 2, where he says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Paul says look out because he knows living in Philippi in this first century Christendom that there are 
people, governmental authorities, wanting to destroy Christendom. From Judaizers to the Romans, wanting to destroy the Christian church. As a matter of fact, when he writes this, for a Judaizer, they would read Philippians chapter 3, verse 2, and they would immediately think of Isaiah 56, verse 10, where the prophet Isaiah calls those who are being false prophets dogs. And that's why he says, look out for the dogs. Because their vicious bite and bark is with the intention of destroying the church, of destroying us, of destroying the work and the love of Jesus Christ. And so we are to be on the lookout for those who would destroy the church of Christ. And it doesn't always show itself in we want to do this. Sometimes it shows in subtle ways. We must be on guard. Matter of fact, this is so important. This is so important that Paul mentions it again in verse 18. For many of those of you whom I have told you, now I tell you even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. What does he mean? He means that there's even some who were once followers of the way who've turned away. By the way, Paul speaks about this from firsthand experience. Not as one who's a follower who lost his way, but as one who began with the destruction of Christ. Don't forget who Paul was. Saul. This amazing, amazing teacher of the law who was on the fast track, the rising star of Judaism. He was the one who was set out with a mission and a ministry and a passion to destroy Christendom in the name of Yahweh. He was the one who said at the stoning of Stephen, as you throw the stones, let me hold your cloak so that you can have better trajectory in your rocks as you kill this person of the way. Paul knows what it is to know people with a mission to destroy the church because Paul was one of them. And he says, look out for them. Be on guard. Paul also, and, and chapter 3 is where Paul just is exploring his personal life. Paul also says, look out for those who would deceive you, those who would trick you, those who would present something to you, but it's not really true. 
my uncle, my uncle Ralph, he and I used to love to play practical jokes on one another. And one time, my grandma, she made this, this amazing chili that he absolutely loved. And I, I pulled her aside that day as the family was gathering, and I said, hey, Grandma, would you mind if I play a trick on Uncle Ralph? And she kind of got this look, and she goes, Gregor, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to take your chili, and I want to pour an entire bottle of hot sauce in his bowl. And she got a smile, and she said, he deserves it. And so I poured the hot sauce in his bowl as we were preparing. She asked me to come in and help serve the chili. It was our secret together. And I stirred it in there, and I presented it to him, and we presented the chili to everyone, and we started eating. Now, my grandma was a sensitive woman, and a couple things you never criticized her about. You didn't criticize her about the appearance of her home because she took meticulous care of her house. And you didn't criticize her about her food. So I'm watching my uncle, and he's eating this chili, and he's drinking water like it's going out of style, and he's sweating on his forehead, and he's wiping his, his brow, and it's just perspiring. And midway through, I'm grinning, and he looks at me, and he knows something's up. And he says, what did you do? And then my grandma, she just starts laughing. And we told him what we did, and he said, I thought this was so hot, but I wasn't going to say anything. We deceived him so well. It was a tremendous, tremendous prank. We talked about that for years and years to come. You know, there's a lot of people that want to deceive us when it comes to our knowledge of Jesus. But more importantly than even what our knowledge of Jesus is, they want to deceive us in our understanding of God's love. And please hear me when I say this. The beauty of Christianity is how unique Christianity is. Christianity is unique because it says to you and to me, that God loves us so much that he gives us the gift of salvation, everlasting and eternal life, for free. What? Yes, for free. Do you know that no other religion in the world has the same claim? And a matter of fact, people want to deceive us because they want to say, well, it can't really be free, right? And I actually think that most Christians miss this sometimes. How do we miss this? Well, we miss this if I were to say to most Christians, say, how do you know you're saved? Because of my faith in Jesus. That's not on him. That's on you. Because if it's really all about my faith in Jesus, then how do I know I have enough? You see, the truth of the matter is we are saved because of Jesus. That's it. The gift of the Holy Spirit is this faith that we hold on to, this faith that we have. And it is, it is 
through this faith that we will have salvation, but the salvation comes not because of our faith or the amount of faith or the lack of faith, but simply because of the work of Jesus Christ. Paul, Paul understands how this deception comes because it is natural in our world to think that we are good with God based on how good we are, based on the works that we've done. Have I been good enough or bad enough? Will God love me? But look at all the things that I did. I went to church every week. I was in Bible study. I tithed. I did everything that I needed to do. But then again, if it's all about what you and I can do, we don't really need Jesus. And Paul got this. He understood because he heard about all the, all the, the deception that was being given to him. And this is why he writes in verses three through six, we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God, right? So even our worship isn't us, it's the Holy Spirit working within us and the glory in Christ Jesus to put no confidence in the flesh. Notice that right there, no confidence in the flesh. My salvation doesn't have any confidence in what I do or what I've done, who I am or who I've been. And look at what Paul writes. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. And he goes on. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. If anyone says, I know the law, I know the way, and I lived it out, Paul says, I've done it more than you circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of Hebrews. Paul right here is really just saying, here's my pedigree. Here's how you know that in the flesh, I'm better than you. As a law, as a Pharisee, and with zeal, a persecutor of the church, the righteousness of the law, blameless, he says. And he says, I find no confidence in that. Because he knows that salvation alone comes through, faith, through Jesus Christ, who now he lays his faith in his hands, in his work, in his death, in his life, and in his resurrection. And see, when we believe in Jesus, when we know Jesus, that knowledge of Christ from our head to our heart that knowledge of Christ puts all trust in him so that we have confidence not in anything that we've done, but in everything that he is. Perfect servant savior who lived, died, and rose so that we would live for eternity. That is the confidence that we have. And that's where we look out for the one who delivers us. We look out for the one who delivers us. So we look out for those who would destroy us. We look out for those who would deceive us. And now we look out for the one who would deliver us. Where do you see Jesus delivering you today, tomorrow, and forever? Where do you see Jesus delivering you from everything, delivering you from every circumstance into the hands of joy? Where do you see Jesus delivering you to be a servant of our Savior? Where do you see Jesus delivering you 
to be true to who God has called you and made you to be. His loved child. His loved disciple. Look out for the one who would deliver you. You see, we look out for where we find light. I'm reminded of a lighthouse, of those lighthouses that used to guide ships to shore. And they would guide them through the night, through storm. They would guide them when they couldn't see, but all that they would see is the light that brought them safely into port, safely to their family, safely to their friends. Jesus is our guiding light of deliverance from the storms and perils of life into the safety of eternity with all who've gone before us. We look out to our deliverer to see him delivering us every day by the power and the light of his love. And finally, we look out for those who would develop you. I remember as a kid being an avid basketball fan. And I remember when I would watch the NBA on TV and I, I just, we, we would be watching games, my dad and I or some friends and I, and, and we, would, we would watch the games and then at the end of the game, I'd always turn to my dad or our friends and we'd say, let's go play, let's go shoot some hoops. And then you know what I would do? Now, when I was growing up, the, the Los Angeles Lakers, I wasn't a huge Lakers fan, but the Los Angeles Lakers were the ones who were always winning championships. The, the Celtics were the ones who were also battling them. This was through the, the 80s. And, and I remember I would either pretend to be Larry Bird in the corner shooting those threes and off to the side of his head because Bird shot that way, which was unorthodox. Or at the end of his career, I remember I would drive into the lane and then shoot the famous Kareem Abdul-Jabbar skyhook. Imitators. We imitate those who we want to be like. We imitate those who we admire. And Paul encourages us to imitate those who have great faith. Those who are living a life of devotion and discipleship for Jesus. In Philippians 3.17, Paul writes, Brothers, Join me in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Join in imitating me. Meaning join in those imitating me who's, who's not living for his own purpose, not living for his own flesh, not living for his own works, but living and loving Jesus. Who's developing you? Who are you imitating? 
Is it someone who's wanting to destroy? Is it someone who's wanting to deceive? Or is it someone who's living a life following the one who's delivered them? Jesus. I think we find ourselves always looking around and seeing who can we imitate. I was talking with someone in my small group recently. And by the way, small groups are an amazing place where we can learn and be developed by one another. But I was talking to one of our people and our our families and our friends in our small group, and he was sharing how he reads Scripture with his kids, that every night they read from the Bible together, just him and his child. And I thought to myself, I want to imitate that. I want my children to experience that relationship with their father and know our father. Who are you looking at and saying, they have a faith that I want to know more about? They have a peace that's greater than I can understand. I was listening to a podcast recently. Actually, it was a book on tape. And the book was talking about this elder in a church who was a young man in his 30s who for nine years had been talking to a co-worker about Jesus. Now, the co-worker wasn't a believer, was ambivalent about Jesus, never took him up on his offer. And finally, one day, after nine years, the economy began to become shaky. Jobs became tenuous. Life became uncertain. And this elder says that one day he was driving with his friend, and his friend said, you know, can you tell me more about Jesus? And he said to him, I've talked to you for nine years and you've wanted nothing to do with Jesus. I'm so excited to tell you more about Jesus, but let me ask you this question. What changed? And he said, what's changed is you have peace. No matter what happens, you have peace. And I want what you have. Who are you imitating? And who's going to be imitating you? As we look out, like Paul, for those who would destroy, those who would deceive, to the one who would deliver, and to those who would develop us into a greater disciple of Jesus. Philippians 3 is the life story of Paul. Today and this week, as you read through Philippians 3, discover your life story as you look out for our Savior. 
Glory be to God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all of God's people said, Amen.